0: And it's good to be gathered in God's house again this evening. I bring you greetings in the precious name of our Lord and Savior. Nearly everyone would agree that the kind of food that we eat and consume is important. You know, you are what you eat is a familiar adage that we hear from time to time. And in our age of affluence, therefore, people are willing to spend significantly more money for food that is supposedly better for you. And uh, the amount and quality of food that we eat does affect our physical well-being and therefore does have an impact on what we're able to accomplish in this life. But another area of appetites that we deal with on a daily basis is our thought life. This aspect of our being is usually considered far less frequently than what we take into our mouth. Yet it has a great impact great effect on our mental and on our spiritual well-being, and sometimes even our physical well-being. How often do we hear either directly in word or implied by action that what I think is private, know that my thoughts have no bearing on my daily work or what kind of a person I am? Our court system frequently deals with what they call the right of privacy, and by this, lawyers argue that what a person does or says or thinks and does in private is not subject to scrutiny by others. Now, that concept may hold up in a court of law, but it won't hold up in a court of judgment by our God, on Judgment Day by our God. Our thoughts do affect us greatly. Proverbs says of the person with an evil eye in Proverbs 23:7, For as he thinketh in his heart... So is he. A loose paraphrase could be, you are what you think. What we think about becomes who we are. What we meditate on affects our character. It affects our actions. And as a result, it can ultimately affect our eternal destiny. And so I'd like to think this evening about cultivating a pure mind. Why is thought life so important? Our thoughts engage so much of our being, our mind, our emotions, our desires, our memories, our imagination. Pure and good thoughts draw us closer to God. Sinful thoughts draw us to evil. Someone has written sow a thought and reap an act. Sow an act and reap a habit. Sow a habit and reap a character. So a character, and reap a destiny. Our thoughts lay the groundwork for what we do and who we are. A selfless act of kindness doesn't just happen. It springs from a thankful and a loving heart. And likewise, no one ever just falls into adultery. Rather, the adulterer's heart has been prepared by lust and evil thoughts before the act was committed. So a thought. And the thoughts that are cultivated set the course of our lives. Jesus clearly defined the source of evil thoughts in Matthew chapter 15, verses 18 and 19. Very familiar words where we read there, But these things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts murderers, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. Now some in Jesus' audience there were, namely the Pharisees, were very concerned about their outward actions and about their outward appearance. And they could go to great lengths to avoid wrongdoing and outward appearance. And Jesus didn't negate that. Yet these same Pharisees willingly tolerated evil thoughts and sins of the heart. How could they justify this disparity? Well, the Pharisees seemingly held the belief that evil thoughts were not really sinful as long as they didn't become outward acts. That's the philosophy of our culture today. This is a falsehood that Jesus taught against. Jesus compared them to whited sepulchers, white and beautiful on the outside, but black and filthy inside. He confronted this false teaching different times, but in one occasion was a Sermon on the Mount where Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 21. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill. And whosoever whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Also, few verses later, Matthew 5, 27, You have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Jesus addressed the heart. And he addressed the evil thoughts that originate there. From the perspective of our character and our guiltiness before God, entertaining and feeding hatred Even without acting on it, is wickedness. Entertaining and feeding lust, even without other actions, is sin. Greed and covetousness and anger and pride and discontent. In the sight of God, entertaining those evil thoughts of the heart is just as evil, just as sinful as the behavior that they produce. Just because you may not act on an evil plan, doesn't excuse the secret desire job recognized the seriousness of thought sin i find job to be an excellent model of a spiritual leader for his family uh, we find in job chapter 1 and verse 5 regarding his children that job sent and sanctified them he rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Job could see what was taking place on the outside. There was nothing there that concerned him. But these sacrifices were not for sins that he saw in the actions of his children. They were not sacrifices for sins that he heard coming from their mouth. Rather, he was offering sacrifices lest his children had sinned in their hearts, in their thought life. And this was not a once-and-done thing for Job. We read there that the verse concludes, Thus did Job continually. How does the mind sin? There are at least three tenses of sinning with our mind, past and present and future. So if we think about past tense of uh Sinning with our mind would be deriving pleasure from past sins. In Ezekiel chapter twenty-three, the northern and southern kingdoms of Israel are likened to two harlots who forsook God and instead pursued and committed prostitution with the nation with the neighboring nations. And speaking of Ahohab, there representing the southern kingdom, we read in Ezekiel chapter twenty-three and verse nineteen. Yet she multiplied her whoredoms in calling to remembrance the days of her youth. Okay, get it? In calling to remembrance the days of her youth wherein she had played the harlot in the land of Egypt. Judah took pleasure in remembering the idols and the false gods that they had back in Egypt. She took pleasure in rehashing those sins of her youth. Remembering them in a favorable light served to harden her conscience, her character, and encourage similar behavior in the present. Now, our our minds are marvelous creations of God. They really are. We can remember things from childhood up until the present. But a favorite activity of Satan is to take all that garbage out of your past and try to drag that back through your mind so that you can relive it. That's why premarital sexual relationships or extramarital relationships are so destructive to a marriage. We're told that even after repenting and confessing their sin, those once involved in these sinful relationships often find it more difficult to be singly devoted to their spouse because they struggle with thoughts about the fornication and the sinful relationships that they indulged in previously. This problem of deriving pleasure from past sins is not limited to sexual sin. Some people have a delight in telling others about or thinking about the time that you know, they really told somebody off. They really gave somebody what they deserved. Or perhaps the time they lied and got away with it. Each time those tempting memories are brought to mind and we remember them with pleasure, this stop becomes a new sin that needs to be repented of. We cannot afford to derive pleasure from past sins. What about the present? In the present we have imagination sins. Now these are not imaginary sins. They're very real. But imagining or fantasizing about sins that you would like to commit. This includes what Jesus was speaking about when he said in Matthew 5.28, I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Satan not only brings back past sins and experiences so that you can relive them, he also brings back images and mental pictures that we saw and that we took into our mind in the past. And that's why pornography is so destructive. Once you implant a lewd image in your thoughts, it remains there. The entertainment industry in all of its forms, television and movies and romance novels and magazines and, of course, the Internet, routinely include images and themes and storylines that tempt people to sinful thought patterns. Once they're in our mind, they reside there as potential temptations to be reprocessed. How much better we are to follow the example of David who stated in Psalm 101, verse 3, I will set... No wicked thing before mine eyes. Or Job, in Job chapter 31 and verse 1, I made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I think on a maid? Our culture tells us, yes, these things are harmful to children, but not to adults. Don't believe that lie. Sinful mental pictures provide great temptation to sin in our minds and beyond as both children and as adults. But sins of imagination aren't limited to sexual sins either. Sometimes these sins may not even be considered sinful by society. People dream covetous thoughts about winning the lottery. They imagine themselves with great power or great wealth or great prestige. They live for the day they'll be able to take a luxury vacation to Disney or wherever it might be. Perhaps a cruise, whatever whatever they're led to believe. The advertising industry thrives on appealing to those lusts. Or perhaps you fantasize about retiring at 45, living a life of self-serving ease. Are such thoughts really that disastrous? We might say, and our world would say no. But they defile our hearts. They can become our God. They can draw us away from serving the one true God. The tenth commandment regarding covetousness is one that's rarely confessed. Why covetousness? That's only a thought. We think, yet thou shalt not covet, is a direct command of God. Proverbs twenty four nine says the thought of foolishness is sin. Dwelling on any thought that's not God honoring, or Christ exalting, and representative of full obedience to the Word of God is sin. What about the future? A third way our mind sins is scheming for the future, making plans to commit sin. Many passages, especially in Proverbs, speak about the sin. Proverbs twenty-four verses twenty-two: "Be not thou envious against evil man; evil men neither desire to be with them, for their heart studyeth destruction, and their lips speak of mischief." Or Psalm 36, verses 1 and 4. The transgression of the wicked saith within my heart that there is no fear of God before his eyes. He deviseth mischief upon his bed. He setteth himself in a way that is not good. He abhorreth not evil. He lays in bed thinking about sins that he would like to commit. Making plans to sin. You might say, well, those are warnings to fools. It's warnings to unbelievers. Perhaps... But even Christians can fall into this habit if we're not careful. Romans, Listen to Romans 13, verses 13 and 14. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. Do we ever make provision for the flesh? Do we ever keep hold of something just in case we might want to indulge in sin at some future time. Paul commands, make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. We may think we can keep our thought life secret. We may think this desire is well hidden, no one will ever know. But the difference between a spirit-controlled, godly, devoted, pure-minded Christian on one hand versus a defeated weak struggling one on the off on the other hand is often apparent and even if we can keep secret sin hidden from man anyone who thinks he can keep it from god is a fool jesus said in luke 8:17 for nothing is secret that shall not be made manifest neither anything hid that shall not be known and come abroad For those who indulge in sinful thoughts, the question then becomes, how can I gain victory in this area that's so important to my spiritual well-being and even my physical and mental well-being? How can I gain the victory? Let's consider three ways to gain victory. First of all, we need to recognize sin as sin and then confess and forsake it. The media and the cultures around us delight in searing our conscience. The first time we sin we feel guilty, the second time a little less so, and so on and on as our mind and conscience become seared. The world says everyone's doing it. There's nothing wrong with this. It's the guilt that it's bad. Such an attitude has dire results and it is easy to convince ourselves that this Sin is really not so bad, but until we recognize it as sin and confess it as sin, we will never get victory. To whom do we confess our sins? Well, certainly to God, being honest with ourselves and with God that this is sin. He already knows, but we need to tell Him for our benefit and if it's a sinful thought pattern that's a continual struggle, confessing it to God may not be enough. We may also need to be honest in confessing it to another godly Christian who is strong in the word and who is able to exhort us in the right, in right thought patterns. When we're committed to gain the victory over this sin, there is great healing in confessing to someone else. Someone who is willing to ask us the hard and direct questions. James chapter 5 and verse 16. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. We often quote the next statement out of context there. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. But notice that it's in the context of confessing our sin to one another and the healing that's associated with that. Just knowing that there is someone who is aware of my secret thought life and exhorting me to confess that sin and be successful and gain victory in that is a great help. Solomon said in Proverbs 28 and verse 13, He that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. How do we respond to the exhortation of concerned brothers and sisters in the church? And as a child of God with the Holy Spirit to convict us, how do we respond to his prompting? Now each time we rebuff a prompting to do right, it sears our conscience and hardens our minds and hearts just a little more. The real standard and definition of sin is found when we gaze into the mirror of God's word. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The word of God is able to judge and discern even our thoughts and our intentions. As the truth of our sin settles upon our heart, we need to confess that sin. But confessing is not enough. We need to forsake it. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 55. We'll look one verse here and then a few more from this passage a little bit later. Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 7. Isaiah 55, 7. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Putting aside sinful thought patterns doesn't just happen. Being accountable to a godly brother or godly sister can help overcome sinful thoughts. For the child of God, the indwelling Holy Spirit provides power and grace as well and encouragement to live in victory. God's power is sufficient. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. A struggle you're facing in your thought life is not unique to you. Others have faced the same temptation. But such sin does need to be confessed and forsaken. Second, we need to refuse to entertain evil thoughts. Avoid places and situations and activities that encourage Evil lines of reasoning. I want to notice here the many times that we are told in Scripture to flee. And we must flee in our mind before we flee physically. We're not going to physically flee a situation until we first have fled in our mind. But 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 18 says flee fornication. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 14 flee from idolatry. 1 Timothy 6:10 and 11 says flee these things and there it's speaking of covetousness. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 22 flee also youthful lusts. Romans chapter 12 and verse 9 abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Romans 13 verse 14 make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. James chapter 4 and verse 7, resist the devil and he will flee from you. We need to refuse to entertain evil thoughts. We need to stay away from places that bring those things to our mind. Is there some place you go that brings temptation? Avoid that place. Is there something you do that brings temptation? Don't do it at all costs. Maybe you need to pitch away that smartphone and get a flip phone or whatever it takes. Flee from temptation that you struggle with. Make a commitment with David that I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. And moreover, when evil thoughts do spring up without warning, determine to put them aside. You might say, well, how do I do that? The more I determine not to think about something, the more I think about it. Well, yes, that's why at those times... We need to direct our thoughts to something else. And that brings us to the third step of gaining victory. We need to recognize sin as sin and confess it. We need to refuse to entertain evil thoughts. But we also need to feed on and think about the word of God and things that are pure. The word shows us our sin. But continuing to meditate on God's word allows our minds to be filled with God's thoughts. Returning to Isaiah chapter 55, we already read verse 7. Let's read verse 7 again and continue with a few verses as we continue on. Again, Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his way and the righteous man his thoughts. Let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways My ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. How do we gain victory over evil thoughts? By thinking the thoughts of God. If there are specific areas of my thought life that I have special difficulty, I'd be wise to determine beforehand a verse of scripture, a verse of song, something that I will think of when that temptation comes my way. For example, if if I tend to complain about those in authority over me, I might determine that when that temptation comes to complain about the government, for example, I'll recite 1 Timothy 2, 1 and 2. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercession, giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority. We may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Perhaps I'm tempted to covet a neighbor's house or car or tractor, whatever it might be. First Timothy 6, 6 and 8 might be a good verse to keep in our mind that whenever that temptation comes, I exhort therefore that first of all, no, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and it's certain we can carry nothing out and having food and raiment, let us beware with content. Or maybe whenever that thought of covetousness comes, we might want to think of that song, Count Your Blessings, whatever something that direct our thoughts away from the evil thoughts to something that's pure and good. Like Daniel, who purposed in his heart not to defile himself with the king's meat, we can determine that when sinful thoughts cross our mind, we'll turn our thoughts to things that are good. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 4, Brother Zach read the verses just before these this evening, but I'd like to begin with verse 8. Philippians chapter 4, beginning with verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, Whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Notice the things that we should think on here, just to reiterate things that are true, things that are honest, things that are just, things that are pure, things that are lovely, things that are of good report things of virtue, things that are praiseworthy. Now these are not things that we normally find in the newspaper or the internet or the news of our day. But if we go to the right place, we go to the word of God, we go to good reading material and look at places where God is at work in the hearts and lives of men, there is good news to be found every day of the week. Thoughts frequently do come Unsought. They can drop into our minds, if you will, seemingly from nowhere. We may not be able to help passing thoughts, but we can and must avoid dwelling on or deriving pleasure from evil thoughts. the lustful stare, the second look, the covetous gaze, the wicked scheme. But the command is to what? The command is to flee. 2 Corinthians 10, 5 urges us to use the power of God to bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Purpose to think about pure and honest and lovely and virtuous and praiseworthy things. We live about two miles from Indian Echo Caverns, and likely you have been to a similar cavern. What's the process that has formed those solid rock formations? Well, a single drop of water finds its way from the surface through the ground, down through the cracks in the limestone roof of the cave, and it deposits its very small, minute sediment there. And another drop follows the same path, and still another, each making an imperceptible contribution until a stalactite is formed and then a stalagmite and maybe even a pillar is formed perhaps even a massive column of rock there's a process just like that going on in each one of our minds each thought that stirs for a moment sinks into the soul just like that little drop of water makes a limestone deposit in the cave other thoughts follow and yet others, until a habit of thought along a given line of reasoning or emotion is formed. And these thoughts will erect within our hearts either pillars of godly purpose, if we are thinking about good things, or monuments of selfish ambition, if we are thinking about evil things. These formations that form in our mind have everything to do with our character, Character is the result of thought. Whether our lives will be full and helpful or whether they'll be cruel and hurtful depends upon our thoughts. The person who thinks that his thought life can be kept secret or that his thoughts really don't affect who he is has truly deceived himself. A good aid to having godly thoughts throughout the day is to rise early enough each day to read and study god's holy word i hope that each believer here includes that in your daily activity sometime during the day time in god's word our heart and our mind should be the sanctuary where regular services of worship to our mighty eternal god break forth and to sin then with our mind is to desecrate the very sanctuary that should be a place of worship so as i think about my thoughts today Or yesterday, this past week, as you think about your thoughts today or recently, were there times when I failed to bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ? Were there times I delighted in the pleasure of past sin? Or spent time feeding desires or imaginations that I knew were outside of the will of God? Did I harbor an attitude of covetousness or vengeance against another person? If so, we need to confess and forsake and surrender our mind to the will of God. Psalm 139, verse 23 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, as we bow our heads for prayer this evening, dear Lord, we've been considering our thoughts this evening. We've been considering what your word has to say to us in that regard. Your thoughts are so far above ours Help us to bring every thought into obedience of Christ. As David said, search me, O God, know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Lord, help us to flee temptation, to feed on the word, to focus on true, what is true and honest and just and pure and lovely, and virtuous. As each of us searches our hearts this evening with heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe you're here this evening and know that you've been feeding ungodly thoughts in your heart. Maybe bitterness, maybe lust, maybe covetousness, maybe pornography. You're tired of the guilt, weary of the shame. You recognize that you need God's help to overcome sins of the mind. Maybe you're afraid to pray, search me and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts because you know what God would find there. Won't you say to the Lord this evening, Jesus, I need your strength. I need your power. Give me a new commitment to thinking your thoughts. Thoughts that are true and honest and just and pure and lovely. I want victory in my thought life. If that's your prayer this evening, won't you just raise your hand this evening to say, I want to commit my thought life to God. Won't you pray for me? Just raise your hand this evening. If that's your desire, dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for those that have raised your hands. Our thoughts really do affect more than just ourselves. Our thoughts define who I am and greatly affect how I interact with others as well as how I relate to God. Anyone else? Thank you for those that raised your hands. Is there anyone else before we go to prayer? Go to prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, this is an area that many of us do struggle with. Dear Lord, and yet we recognize it's so important as we think about our thought patterns, those thoughts that dribble into our minds, and what do we do with them? Dear Heavenly Father, I just pray, especially for each one who raised their hands this evening that you would work in our hearts and in our lives and in our minds, dear Lord, to be able to flee from places and situations and things that bring temptation to our mind. I pray that you would help us to, when those thoughts do come, to respond with godly responses, maybe a verse of scripture, Maybe a hymn of a song. Something, dear Lord, that will direct our thoughts and our minds to things that are pure and just and honest and right. Lord, help us to discard evil thoughts and instead meditate on what things are pure and lovely and of a good report. Heavenly Father, I just pray for Each one here this evening, and again, especially those that raised their hands. Dear Lord, work in our hearts. We know that evil thoughts come out of the heart. Your scripture makes that plain. Evil thoughts come out of our heart. And dear Lord, give us pure hearts, pure minds, that we might think your thoughts, that we might follow and walk in in your way. the Lord, maybe there are those here this evening that have things they need to to confess to a godly brother or a godly sister who can help exhort and walk through this area. Lord, I pray that you would, if that's the need, that you would provide that person who can help walk through difficult situations difficult thoughts, bad thoughts, evil thoughts. Lord, because we do recognize that our thoughts make us. We are what we think in many ways. And we want to think your thoughts, that we can be your child and have the peace of God reigning and ruling in our lives. Dear Lord, our character, our relationship with you, our relationship with one another Depends on it. And so help us this evening to renew our commitment to think pure thoughts and to put away evil thoughts that Satan sends our way, that we won't derive pleasure from past sins, that we won't think about, meditate on present um, evils or plan future ones, but that we might recommit ourselves to having a pure Godly mind that will please you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for your attention this evening. Tomorrow morning, Lord willing, we'll be considering the Abrahamic covenant. And so continue to come praying as you have been this week. I really have appreciated your attendance and your attention. And we trust it again, tomorrow being the Lord's Day, as we gather together that our hearts and minds might be drawn to God. I wonder if we can stand to be dismissed this evening. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, purify our thoughts. We open our hearts and minds to you. Clean out the filth that you find there. Help us to take steps necessary to cultivate a pure mind. Dear God, help us to think your thoughts. Shine through us. Be with us as we go. Keep your hand of protection upon us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.